Hi friends, Gerald Law here. Welcome to the Love Lake Norman podcast. Love Lake Norman is a church in Cornelius, North Carolina, whose mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. You're about to hear a message that will be helpful and hopeful. Our goal is to encourage you to take the next step in your faith. Wherever you are, we want you to know that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Thanks for spending time with us today. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, hey, my name's Ethan, and we're so grateful that you are checking this out. Last week was the Super Bowl, and you probably saw a lot of people wearing these. Now, not the Panthers, no, because they weren't that good this year, but you saw a lot of people wearing jerseys. And jerseys bring up a lot of emotions because it's connected to a team that you love, that you want to represent. You have random strangers walking up to you talking about the game, talking about players, talking about the team. Even if they don't like your team, they might walk up to you and and trash talk a little bit. Uh, Jerseys are a way of showing who we root for, who we represent. I used to wear this hat, this Kansas City Chiefs hat. I don't like the Chiefs, but it was my dad's hat in the 90s, and so I thought it was cool, and so I started wearing it. And I wore it until uh, guys kept coming up to me and saying, oh, man, did you see the game last night? I'm like, no, it's just a hat. (laughs) When you wear things like this, when you wear sports apparel or jerseys or hats, people will come up to you because it represents something that they love and they think that you love it as well. I mean, jerseys and sports apparel give us a glimpse into what people love. Uh, And this actually transcends sports. It goes into other clothing. I mean, you can have a band t-shirt. This is a Pink Floyd t-shirt. You know, maybe a classic rock t-shirt, maybe a hip-hop t-shirt. It shows you, hey, this is something that I love and I'm going to represent it by wearing a t-shirt. Maybe it's a It's a car company or, for my example, a a motorcycle company. I mean, I don't have a motorcycle because my wife won't let me have one. But if I did, I would have Triumph because they're the coolest motorcycles ever made. This is something that I love and I want to represent it with what I am wearing. Maybe for you, it's the gym that you go to. Maybe you go to Burn or maybe you go to CrossFit or whatever and you want to represent, hey, I not only work out, but I work out at this place. This place is a place that I love and I want to represent it. Or maybe you went on a trip and you want to wear, hey, I want to represent and show the love for the place that I've been to. Maybe it was the Grand Canyon or Disney World or New York City, wherever it was. I went there and I got this because I love that place and I want to represent and show other people that I love it. Now, this works even beyond T-shirts. I mean, we can actually dress in a way that explains our lifestyle. I mean, it can give you a glimpse into someone's life. I mean, when I was in high school, there was a couple different groups of people that dressed a couple different ways. I mean, you had what we called the emo kids (laughs) who wore a lot of black, a lot of dark clothing, band T-shirts, and they had their hair kind of like in their face, right? You had like the sports guys or the jocks who wore their letterman jackets. They were very easily, easily seen. You had your rednecks. I grew up in the country. Uh, These guys would wear Wranglers and boots and big belt buckles and flannel shirts. And you knew exactly when you saw those, those groups of people, oh, I know what they're about. They're about this or they're about that. They are wearing, they're dressing their lifestyle. They are dressing for what they love. My point is this. The clothes that we wear or the t-shirts that we wear represent what we love or it explains us in a way to other people. Sometimes, maybe even most times, what we wear gives other people a glimpse into who we are. A similar thing happens in the religious world. I mean, if you're a priest, you might wear one of those little white collars. Uh, In some religions, you'll actually cover your head or part of your face with 
a cloth. And it's a sign to others, hey, I care about this religion, I practice this religion, and I want to show you by wearing this thing. Which raises the question, what do Christians wear? What do Christians wear? Now, when I was younger, there was a Christian t-shirt trend that happened. Now, no judgment if you wore or still wear some of these t-shirts, but I thought they were pretty corny. I mean, some of them were like a MySpace logo, and it, was, it would say something like, you guys remember MySpace? That was like 100 years ago. <laughs> it would say something like, Jesus died for MySpace in heaven. I mean, pretty corny, right? Or there was one that, that was a play on Abercrombie and Fitch, and it said, uh, Jesus fed 5,000 with a breadcrumb and fish. I mean, you get it. It's pretty lame. No judgment, but kind of lame. And then there were shirts when I was younger that try really hard to be cool. There was one I remember that said, uh, Satan is a poo-poo head. It's so weird, but kind of cool, but kind of weird. And there was one that said, uh, Jesus is my homeboy. Now, I kind of liked that one. That was kind of cool. But I was always afraid that it was slightly disrespectful. <laughs> like I would get to heaven and I would get up to the gates and Jesus would actually walk out and be like, really, Ethan? I'm your homeboy? Really? I was, that one always kind of made me feel like it was a little disrespectful. <laughs> but what do Christians wear? What should we wear? Now, I'm actually not even talking about real clothes anymore. I'm talking about what should we put on. Last week, uh, Gerald talked about some things we could take off. Now, let me explain before you turn this video off because that sounds a little weird. Some things that Christians should not wear, and this is what it says. Uh, it says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. That is what we should take off. You see, Paul wasn't talking about actual clothing, taking that off. He was talking about this old way of living, taking that off. So if that's what we take off, then my question is, what should we Put on? What should Christians wear? How should the life we live reflect what's happening internally? How can my life represent what I care about? Well, a few thousand years ago, we found a man named Paul writing to a group of Christ followers, and they were potentially asking the same question How can my life reflect the life of Jesus? What can I put on? What can I wear that will show people I'm actually a Christ follower? So we find this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. It says, put on then. He says, put it on, put on. But then he stops. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. It's interesting to me that he stops right before he tells us what to put on. And he reminds us two things. He reminds us of two things. Who you are. He reminds us of who we are, that we are created by, chosen by, loved by God. And then he also reminds us that this is a byproduct. This is not a requirement. This is a response to what God has done, not a requirement. To put these things on is a response to God, not a requirement for his love. So he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. He says, put these things on like their clothing. Wear them like their clothing. So when people see you, when they see compassion, when they see kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, they know exactly 
what you're about. They know exactly what team you represent. He says compassion, compassionate hearts. In the original text, this word is translation, translated. Uh, it means to experience an overwhelming love for others to the point where you feel it in your gut. When you, where you feel it in your gut, the love for others where you actually physically feel it. Jesus wants his followers to be known by how much and how well others are loved. He says kindness. Kindness happens when you loan your strength to someone else. Kindness is when people need something that they cannot provide for themselves. So you do it for them. You extend yourself. It is not kindness if the person is required to do it. That's not kindness. And it's not kindness if the person wants something in return or wants payment. It's you loaning a part of yourself because they cannot do it themselves. Jesus wants his followers to be kind to others freely. He says humility. Sometimes, I'll be honest, we're so wrapped up in what we are doing that we feel like the most important person on this planet. And what we are doing feels like the most important thing. Nothing else matters. I mean, if I can be 100% truthful, I have a problem with driving. I mean, I don't have the problem with driving. I'm a great driver. It's the other people around me that has the problem, right? <laughs> I mean, if I'm trying to get somewhere on time and someone's in my way slowing me down, I tend to think to myself, don't they know how important I am? And don't they know how important the place I'm going is? When in reality, I'm probably just going to work or the gym or a coffee shop. And I'm not that important. But I tend to think that way. Humility is viewing yourself accurately in relationship with others as a result of your relationship with God. Viewing yourself in an accurate way in the relationship with others as a result of your relationship with God. Everyone on this planet, everyone living and breathing on this planet is created and loved by God. It's the great equalizer that cuts down class, wealth, status, education, job titles, and talent. We're all created in love by God. Jesus' followers approach others as equals, as equals. They put on humility and approach others as equals. The fourth thing he's, he says is meekness, or, or some uh, translations say gentleness. I think most people connect meekness or gentleness with it meaning weak or sad or a negative connotation. That you can't get ahead if you're gentle. That It's almost like gentle guys finish last kind of situation. But gentleness is the choice to respond to others in the light of their strengths, not yours. Their strengths, not yours. Gentleness, gentleness means you are gearing down to the level of who you were talking to. But gentleness and condescending words or tones cannot live together. You cannot be gentle and condescending at the same time. The last thing he says is patience. Patience is about slowing down to someone else's speed. It is the conscious act of choosing to go at someone else's speed, not yours. And once again, you do this in not a judgmental way or a condescending way. And then Paul tells the reader and tells us why we should put on these five things. In verse 13, it says, bearing with other, each other, because it actually helps us bear with each other. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, 
so you also must forgive. It's so we can bear with one another. And if we have conflict or a complaint or something goes wrong, Paul encourages us to forgive. And not just because Paul said it, because we have been forgiven. You see, forgiveness and all these traits, they're a response because we have received them first by God. You see, Jesus, he was actually known for treating people in a very specific way. Whether it was how he treated them, what he said to them, what he said about them, or even what he did not say, you can look at his life and see how he treated people with patience, gentleness, humility, kindness, and compassion. He befriended sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and fishermen. You could, see, you could find him near lepers and the blind and the lame. If society had cast someone out for who they were or what they did, you know for a fact that Jesus was going to show up pretty soon. And because Jesus loved these unlovable people so well, Paul continues this way in his letter. Verse 14 says, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Paul tells the reader, love is actually a thread that's woven through all these traits. It's actually woven through every trait that he listed before. That if we're putting these traits on like clothes, these five traits on like clothes, that love is like an overcoat that goes over all of them and it ties in the entire outfit together. And then Paul digs just a little deeper. You see the first five traits are about how we should treat others. He then turns it internally. Verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And as we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, you will begin, and he says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Paul gives us a complete look at what happens when we remove the old self. We begin taking off the old and we begin to put on the new and live in the new. And this incredible thing happens actually. When we begin to live this way, by removing the old, putting on the new, these traits, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and love, will change every aspect of your life, will change every aspect of my life. And because of that, Paul ends this section by saying this, and maybe you've heard this before, maybe you haven't. It's this kind of profound way of saying this, ending this, this way. He says this in verse 17, and whatever you do, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him, whatever you do in word or deed. My dad, he used to quote this to me in high school. You see, I was on the track team and cross country, and uh, he would say this to me. He would say, Ethan, run like you're running for the Lord. And I, I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> I thought my dad had like gone insane. I mean, I, don't, I didn't even know what it meant. I mean, how am I supposed to run for the Lord, dad? Like, am I supposed to like make a cross with my arms as I run? Or like, 
go up to the opposing team and say like, hey, Jesus loves you, now eat my dust. I didn't, I, as a high schooler, I did not know what that meant. How can I take something that seemingly has nothing to do with God and make it about God? That doesn't make sense. Running has nothing to do with God, right? How am I supposed to make that have anything to do with God? And maybe you felt the same thing. Maybe you're not a pastor or a missionary, or maybe you're not on staff at a church. And so how can you take the job that you have that has nothing to do with God and make it about God? Maybe you thought this, well, I'm a blank. How do I make that about Jesus? Maybe you're a teacher or a mechanic or a nurse or a doctor or a police officer or a secretary or a waitress or a mom or a dad, or maybe you're a student. How do you make those things about God? Tim Keller in his book, Every Good Endeavor, says, In Genesis, we see God as a gardener, and in the New Testament, we see him as a carpenter. Check this out. No task is too small a vessel to hold the immense dignity of work given by God. No task is too small a vessel to hold the immense dignity of work given by God. Whatever you do, whatever your job is, wherever you go and whoever you meet, all those things can be done in the name of Jesus if your heart reflects his. If your heart reflects his. It's less about making your job about Jesus and way more about your life reflecting his heart at your job. It's less about making your job about Jesus and way more about your life reflecting Jesus at your job, at your school, in your neighborhood. You see, my dad told me to run like I was running for Jesus, which I didn't even know what that meant. But what he was really saying was this, Ethan, be a good teammate. Care for the people around you. Encourage the people around you. Love the people around you. Try hard, but have a good attitude regardless of the outcome. And unfortunately, I was much older until I realized what he was even talking about. But what he was really saying when he said, run like you're running for the Lord, was be a reflection of Jesus every time you lace up your running shoes. That's what he meant. That's what he meant. Every time you put those shoes on, you represent Jesus. Reflect his heart. So people around you know what you're wearing. They know who you love and who you care for and who you represent because the way you treat them. I have a friend named Gary, and Gary served with me a couple years ago in middle school ministry. And uh, once this middle school boy, I think he was probably a seventh grader, came up to us and asked us this kind of profound question for like a seventh grade boy. Because seventh grade boys are kind of just like, smelly and they laugh at fart jokes. But this was pretty profound and to the point where I've remembered it probably five, six years later. The boy said this, do I always have to be thinking about Jesus? Do I always have to be talking about Jesus? Because it kind of seems impossible and overwhelming. And I'll never forget Gary's answer. This is what Gary said, not every conversation has to be about Jesus, but Jesus can be a part of every conversation. Not every thought you has, have has to be about Jesus, but Jesus can be a part of all your thoughts. It's the same thing. It's the same idea that my dad was trying to share with me so many years ago. When you think, speak, or act, Jesus can and will be a part of it if your heart reflects his. 
If your heart reflects his, everything you say and do can glorify God. So what does this mean for you and what does this mean for me? Well, it means a couple things. The first thing it means is this, that God loves you. I want you to stop and hear me say that to you, that God loves you. Not because of anything that you've done or not because of anything you've achieved or earned. He just loves you. He created you and he loves you. And he has shown us incredible compassion, kindness, gentleness, and patience. And through his son, Jesus, and Jesus' death offers a relationship to us like no other. The second thing it means is this. It means a response to this. We need to respond to this in some way. We can treat others the same way. Not to earn, not to achieve, not to get anything back. Just simply because it's the only response suitable for the love that we have received. We can show grace and mercy, forgiveness, love, gentleness, humility. We can show all those traits. We can put all those traits on, not to earn more love, not to earn anything, because it's the only suitable response that we can give of the love that we've been shown. And the last thing is this. The fact that your profession is your profession, the fact that your hobby is your hobby, the fact that your passion is your passion is not by coincidence. Your profession, your hobby, your passion, whatever it may be, can be used to love others and glorify God if your heart reflects Jesus. If your heart reflects Jesus, when you go into your office, when you go into your job, when you go on the golf course or the basketball court or in third period science class, you can love others and glorify God if your heart reflects Jesus. And that's a great place to be. I'm going to pray for you. God, I thank you for everyone hearing my voice right now. I thank you for the fact that you love us to the point where you sent your son so that we can have a relationship with you. You've shown us so much grace. You've shown us so much gentleness and patience and kindness. God, I I pray that as a response to that, we can show the people around us the same. That we can love others well, not to, to earn anything or to look great, but because it's the only suitable response to your love is to love others the way that you have loved us. Thank you for loving us so much and so well, God. In your son's name we pray. Thanks again for listening. You can find out more about Love Lake Norman at lovelkn.org. If you live in our area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday. If you're not near our church, we want to encourage you to find a life-giving church to be a part of where you live. That will be a key next step on your spiritual journey. Please take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, and keep up to date with our weekly messages. And thanks again for joining the Love Lake Norman podcast.